is Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So most of you know by now that I and my wife have a very sick addiction to Netflix. You know by now that when we come home, we like to reside on the couch, and I have my side of the couch, and Kate has her side of the couch, and it's a sectional, so sometimes we meet down here and our heads meet. Um, but most of the time, we're just watching TV and trying to entertain ourselves. We've watched countless, not just shows, but series whole series of shows, and one of our favorite times is when you find that great new series of television that has six or seven seasons. Can anybody say a hearty amen? So you know what I'm talking about. So, and there's, there's moments where you're sitting there and Netflix asks you the very obvious question, are you still watching? Yeah. Yes. yes, we are. Uh, it's, it's almost to the point of a nuisance. Um, of course, we're sitting there and we are, we are enthralled. And one of my favorite moments is when you find those seasons and at the end, the season finale, you know that you're getting ramped up for something that's going to be really great and it's going to leave you on that cliffhanger. It's also good to know that you can just keep continuing watching on and, and you can fulfill that, that need and desire in your heart because there's nothing worse than watching a show up to when it's out on television. And then you have to watch it from week to week. But there's these moments where you end a season and it just leaves you there and you want to see what's happening next. In the Gospel of Mark, we have reached one of those moments where there's a break in the book. Jesus has demonstrated himself to be one who has power and authority, who is teaching in a very different way, who is captivating audiences, who is ca casting out demons, who is healing sick people, who is doing all these, these interesting things. And only a, a handful of people understand what's going on. In this particular new act, when we're turning the page into the middle section of chapter 8, we have a story about Jesus healing a blind man. Now, we've already seen Jesus heal a lot of people, so this seems innocent enough. However, in this section of the book of Mark, we have what is a framing narrative with Jesus healing the blind man, the story that we just read, and then at the end of this section, Jesus heals another blind man. N.T. Wright says that up until this point, Jesus is a prophet. He's announcing the kingdom of God, the long-awaited moment when God would rule Israel and ultimately the world with the justice and mercy of which the scriptures had spoken and for which Israel had longed. Jesus is showing up proclaiming something new and fresh and different. The thing that everyone around had been waiting for, he was bringing to fulfillment in that moment. 
what Jesus had been doing, N.T. Wright continues, the healings, the battles with evil, and the extraordinary feedings, stilling of the storms, and so on, are signs that this is indeed the moment when the true God is beginning to exercise this power. Jesus has demonstrated himself from the very beginning of the book of Mark to be Messiah, to be the one that these people were waiting for. But what we found throughout is his closest crew of people, his disciples, did not really understand what was going on in the last story that we read where Jesus feeds 4,000 people. The disciples don't really understand what's going on, so much so that when Jesus says um, to give them something to eat, they say, well, where are we gonna get the bread? They don't quite understand who Jesus is and what he's going to do, even though they had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. They're not quite getting it. Then later we see the disciples talking to Jesus and they don't understand what he's trying to, to tell them, which brings about this statement. He says, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Mark is a great storyteller. He's told all of this stuff up to this point and he's leaving us on that cliffhanger. He's leaving us at the end of the season with this statement of, do you have eyes but can't see and ears but can't hear? And he attempts to make sense of this by placing this story of Jesus healing a blind man. Do you have eyes but fail to see? And then we meet Jesus in Bethsaida healing an individual who is blind. Mark is bringing these two, two concepts together where the disciples just don't get it over and over and over. They don't get it. And then we see Jesus bringing sight to someone who has not had it. There's this moment between these two stories of the healing of the blind man in Mark chapter eight and Mark chapter 10 where Jesus is going to be instilling into his disciples and attempting to bring clarity to their understanding of who he is. This is a teaching moment where Jesus continues on in his ministry but the focus is very much centered on who the disciples are and who the disciples could become. But they continually show themselves to be folks very similar to us people who don't understand, people who don't get it, people who don't quite see the trajectories of where things are heading. I'm just gonna kind of walk us through this story and then really just leave us with a question. I'm gonna try to leave us on that cliffhanger this evening as well and hopefully we can make some sense of that um, as we go our separate ways. This text says, they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. I just wanna point out a couple of things. Jesus has finally arrived in the place that he was trying to go since chapter six. This is on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. They're finally in Bethsaida and uh, Jesus had all, oftentimes been looking for that rest and repose and that moment where he could just kind of be still. This is not happening here and we'll see that the wheels begin to spin even quicker now as Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem and ultimately to his, his death. But we see these people stationed in Bethsaida. They have been all over the place from up in the north in Tyre to the Decapolis. You can see on the right-hand side of that slide. They've been traveling all over the place and finally they're here. And there's another teachable moment where Jesus presents this healing. The thing that I wanna focus on from this verse though is they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man. This is very similar to the passage that Tessa looked at a couple weeks ago where we saw in, in Tessa's passage in Mark chapter seven, there some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged Jesus to place his hands on him. In both stories, what we have is someone who is, who is sick, someone who is handicapped, and they have people surrounding them taking 
them to Jesus for healing. This struck me as very strange because in both stories, the blind man is, is, is somewhat passive and also the deaf mute man is somewhat passive in the story. We have the friends surrounding them and as Tessa pointed out, these friends become advocates for these people. And I know that as we sit here, we could just pause for a moment and think about the folks in our lives that need advocates, that need people to take them to Jesus, that need people in their lives to fight for them. And sometimes that's in huge ways, and sometimes what I've come to find over the last few weeks in in conversations I've been having with people is that advocacy looks like you are beautiful, and you are loved, and you are worth something. For some folks, just those, those sentences that seem so, so small is what they need to hear, not just from us, but from their creator, from their savior, to instill within them purpose and worth and dignity. That advocacy, it does not have to be we take the blind people to Jesus and they receive their sight. Sometimes it's, it's the people, as Tessa pointed out, that are blind to see the truths about them, that are deaf to hear the things that are true, that are spoken over them. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, and I am loved by you. It's who I am. And sometimes there's a huge divide between what we say to be true about God and what we believe to be true about ourselves. That might be good. He's a good, good father, but I'm worthless. I'm a screw up. My life doesn't show any sort of evidence that anyone would want to love me. And in this story, there's, there's hints, there are very subtle hints where these people were surrounded by folks that would not allow them to say those things about themselves, and they brought them to Jesus for healing. It's great because in these stories, we see miraculous events, not just of people receiving uh, their hearing and their sight, but we also see people being reinstilled back into the life of the community. And we think about, especially in the first century context, where these people might have been and how these disabilities would have hindered them from true community. And we see pieces of that being instilled yet again. Those are like little side trails from this text. So we're going in a different direction, but I want you to at least hear that because I'm convinced that there's people in the room and perhaps I need to hear this myself. We are loved by the most high God. It's not about what the professor says about you. It's not about what your parents say about you. It's not about what that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend says about you. It's not about what your spouse says about you. It's not about all these things that might be potentially damaging to who you are. I pray that you have people in your life that can build you up and encourage you, but I hope that even in the midst of that, their encouragement is going beyond to you have worth and you have value because God cares about you. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village when he had spit on the man's eyes. Now, this isn't just he goes up to the guys and starts hawking one right in his face. It's probably not what's happening here. Most commentators would say that Jesus spits on his hands because in this moment, the spittle, it's a fun word to say. For my grandfather, it just is that stuff that ends up right here when he's talking. You guys know what I'm saying? No? Okay. All right. Well, introduce you to my grandfather sometime. Um, Jesus... Uh, as a, a teacher and one who is invested with power in the ancient world, they would have thought that that person's spit was invested with like a healing substance. 
Spit in and of itself was used as a salve, especially for the eyes. But here, Jesus, that was something where he was tapping into that first century context of this is what healers did. They spit and then they rubbed it on people's eyes. So Jesus is spitting on his hands and then placing his hands on this man's eyes. Jesus asked, do you see anything? The man says, I see some people, but they kind of look like trees. This is a nice forest scene for the Lord of the Rings fans in the room. You might be thinking about the Ents. Yes, I had to Wikipedia that. And yes, I believe they have a special section of Wikipedia devoted only to Lord of the Rings. Fun fact there. So we, we see this man talking about tree people. He doesn't even know what they might look like. Some scholars debate on whether this man had been blind from birth or if this man had been blind at, at some point through some instance. But what he says is there's people and there's walking around, but I can't really see them clearly. They look like trees walking around. This is interesting because this is the only story in the gospels where Jesus's miracle didn't work. This is the only story where this is a, there's a two-part phase to this where Jesus spits, touches the guy's eyes and says, do you see anything? He's like, yeah, kinda, but it's still pretty blurry. <laughs> Nice try, Jesus. It's, this, it's set up for something different, and this is important because if we remember all these stories about who Jesus is and the disciples' lack of understanding, their lack of perception, when Jesus says, do you have eyes but you can't see, the fact that this is a two-phase miracle seems to go beyond just what Jesus is doing to symbolize something that's very, very, very true even about us. So the miracle didn't work, at least at first. We know the end of the story, it does. Once more, Jesus puts his hand on the man's eyes, then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. On the surface, this story demonstrates Jesus' power again. On the surface, if you're just reading through Mark, you might not make that break between the middle of Mark 8 and the latter half of Mark 8. You might not see what's going on here, but this is not just a story about Jesus' power. We have oodles of those. We have a lot of stories about Jesus doing cool stuff. He's walking on water. He's feeding thousands of people with a handful of loaves and a handful of fish. He is casting out demons. He's healing women who have an issue of blood for years and years and years. He's doing crazy things. And we see another one of those stories, but I think that there's something to be learned here that goes beyond just Jesus doing cool stuff. What I believe this story is really about, especially set within its context, is this idea of the disciples learning to recognize Jesus. And just like this miracle, learning to see who Jesus is clearly, it's a process. The disciples are moving from their own spiritual blindness to clear vision, but this is taking time. Throughout this story, they have considerably demonstrated themselves to be those that don't get it. So much so that Jesus has these conversations with them over and over. He says, don't you understand what's going on? Don't you understand that teaching? Don't you understand that miracle? Don't you understand what's, what's happening here? And I think what Mark is trying to do is to demonstrate what's happening in this progression for the disciples to understand who Jesus is as they learn to recognize him and see him clearly over time. Do you have eyes but fail to see? And then this story is wedged in there where we get this picture of what this might look like. One way that this is demonstrated, I'm gonna talk more about this next week. 
in the next story after Jesus heals the blind man, he asks a question to his disciples. Who do people say that I am? And they respond with some crazy answers. Elijah, John the Baptist, um, another prophet. Understand, too, that prophets were not just these, these clean-cut, nice guys. Back in the Old Testament, we have really crazy stories about prophets who walk through town for years naked to demonstrate something. <laughs> they have these uh, moments where they're baking bread and, and God asks them to bake bread over uh, human feces. And the prophet, of course, says, no, I can't do that. I've, I've, been, I've, I've observed purity laws my whole life. So God says, okay, cook it over cow feces. And the prophet says, okay, it's a good deal. The prophets are really weird people that do these sign acts where they show up in a town with ridiculous things happening in their lives to demonstrate a truth about who God is. So when people say that Jesus is a prophet, it's not just, oh, he's the person we've been waiting for. It's Jesus is that crazy guy that when he shows up, really weird things happen. Like he casts out demons and they go into pigs and the pigs jump off the cliff and die. It's crazy stuff. So when, when people are saying that he's a prophet, they're, they're loading in all sorts of things to that, but Jesus clarifies the question and says, who do you say that I am? And this is a moment for Peter where he just shines. Throughout all these chapters where they have demonstrated themselves to be sort of slow on the uptake, Peter says, you're Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for for centuries. And in this moment, like as we're reading along, we're kind of excited, we're like, yeah, 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 that's great, that's great. Peter's finally getting it. His, his, his vision is becoming clearer as we go. It's like what used to be blurry is now coming into sharp focus, and they might not have understood what Jesus did with the fish and the loaves and the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. They might have missed some significance in, this, in the, the teachings that he had, but now in this moment, they finally are getting who he is until the very next moment. When Jesus continues and says, I'm going to die. And Peter, it says that he rebukes Jesus. He gets super ticked and says, no way, no how. That's not how this works. I have it. I, I know what's going on. You're the Messiah, and these are the things that Messiah has to do, and this is the way that this has to happen, and these are the things. So Jesus responds to Peter after this great moment of saying, you are the Christ, and you are the Messiah, and you're the one that we've been waiting for, but but Peter jacks up what Jesus is doing so poorly that Jesus goes from a praise to get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of things said about me, but I've never heard Jesus call me Satan. And in this moment, it seems like it's a, it's a huge letdown where Peter seems to get it, but then he doesn't. And this story seems to be demonstrating that while it's a process and at times the disciples are getting it, at other times they just don't quite understand what's happening. This has ramifications for the rest of the book of Mark. Uh, this is Daniel Kirk. He says, the later half of Mark's gospel shows us the effects of failing to apprehend the cruciform character of Jesus' ministry. Basically, they don't understand what Jesus is going to do. And that has big time impact on the ministry that the disciples have going forward. For example, those previously sent out to cast out demons now fail in their exorcism. 
Those previously sent out to help enlarge the family of God by preaching in Jesus' name are now forbidden, uh, forbidding others from extending his reign and preventing children from being brought to him. The last we see of the disciples in Mark's gospel is when Jesus' prediction that they will all fall away reaches its climactic fulfillment with Peter swearing and cursing in detail of the accusation that he is one of Jesus' followers. There are these moments where the vision becomes super clear and super sharp. But if we're looking at it from a whole, the disciples keep demonstrating themselves to not get what's going on. Learning to recognize who Jesus is is a process. Peter has these big high mountaintop moments where he gets it and then he doesn't and then he really doesn't. Jesus restores him and Peter ends up playing a pivotal role in the founding of the early church. Peter ends up seeing this vision of unclean animals and an angel saying, eat. Peter ends up having a complete paradigm shift with what this actually means, what Jesus' death and resurrection, the impacts and effects that it has for people. Peter ends up seeing clearly what Jesus really did, but this took time. I wanna kinda think about this for a moment and ask the question tonight, what about us? When we think about learning to recognize Jesus, when we think about the things that we have been learning over our, some of us, our entire lives, when we think about the, the revelations that we receive that we believe are through the Spirit and what, how we maybe have changed in understanding who Jesus is, sometimes in very, very, very beautiful ways. This is a process, and for some of us, we've received salvation, and then we have stopped. For some of us, we have had that one moment in a very spiritual setting, and we're still looking back to that, and none of it is impacting who we are now. For some of us, our relationship with Jesus hangs on something that's so old and outdated and we're just hoping that it still has significance for us. This idea of understanding who Jesus is and recognizing him clearly and going from blindness into sight and into clear vision, it's a process that takes time. And for some of us, as we sit here, our vision of Jesus is cloudy at best. For some of us, our understanding of who he is and what he's calling us into might not be into sharp focus. For some of us, we can identify with Peter because we have these moments where we just completely jack things up. For some of us, though, it's, it's, more, um, it's more difficult because we've been bombarded with images of who Jesus is from the culture. We've been bombarded with who Jesus is um, from our parents and our church upbringing and all these things that might have negative impacts for us. And for some of us, we've had more uh, positive experiences, but still, there might be these moments in our lives where there is something that's cloudy and something is out of focus and we need to see a new vision of Jesus and walk in that way. I keep having these conversations with people and I keep kind of... Um, 
talking about where I am now, and I forget the fact that 18-year-old Josh is very different from almost 34-year-old Josh. And sometimes I forget the journey that we are all on as Christians to understand who Jesus is in our own lives. My hope tonight is that we might become encouraged not to give up on this journey, not to be content with where we are, but to continue to soldier on by having good conversations with people around us, by continuing to read and pray and search and seek, by continuing to hear those words from God that says, you are loved, you are worth something, I am concerned with who you are. My hope is that tonight, even if Jesus and your life and everything that's going on is cloudy and blurry and you can't see the end. My hope is that from this story about this two-pronged uh, two healing, where at first it didn't take and then finally it did, we can see that there might be moments in our lives when we say, there's people out there but they look like trees and I do not know what to do and I do not know what to think and I do not know where to go. My hope is that with continued trust in the king of all of this world, that we would find clarity in whatever it is that's facing us in this moment.